Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Episode 177. Fleetwood Mac released rumors in 1977. True story. Sometimes when listening to rumors on Sirius Radio and having the GPS on at the same time, the GPS tells me to go my own way. Isn't that cute? Go, go, go! Welcome to the 177th episode of the Prov Pod. In today's episode, we speak with Molly White, a software engineer and leading cryptocurrency critic. We discuss with Molly the bear case for crypto and the pitfalls of Web3. Okay, before we bust into what's happening, we have some Prop G Media news to share. What a thrill! Alert the media. We here at Prop G Media are innovating. We're launching a new episode of the Prop G Pod and moving some things around. Every Monday, beginning July 18th, we are coming to you with a 20-minute episode focused on the capital markets. You'll get our team's perspective and insights on the top stories and markets and predictions for the week ahead. We're trying to One, I'm fascinated by the markets and also like to think that we can give you a no mercy, no malice view of what is actually going on, or at least speculate in the boardroom and behind the scenes, uh, having spent a ton of time on boards, raising money, advising hedge funds, you know, kind of a big deal that's now hosting a podcast. What happened? Anyways, our office hours episodes are moving to Wednesdays. And as a reminder, you can ask questions by visiting officehours.profgmedia.com. Again, that's officehours.profgmedia.com. That is by far my favorite part of all of this is the office hours. Uh, I really enjoy hearing people. And I'm also surprised and moved sounds a little bit corny, but I am moved by how transparent and authentic people are in their questions. Uh, Our No Mercy, No Malice audio edition, where we do a voiceover on our Friday newsletter of the same name that now has a quarter of a million subscribers, started with 70. Go figure. Anyways, our No Mercy, No Malice audio edition read by the inimitable George Hahn hits the feed every Saturday. I love George Hahn. It helps that he's an actor and has a dreamy voice, but George Hahn is my Twitter friend. I generally try and avoid anybody that wants to get together with me, A, because I don't enjoy people, But B, I just assume everyone on the internet is either weird or not who they say they are. Uh, But George Hahn is my Twitter friend. I started seeing all his hilarious videos during COVID, and I actually DM'd him and said, love your stuff. We started a dialogue, and now we're offline friends. So that's my one Twitter friend. By the way, this is not an invitation to reach out to me and ask to be friends. And what a thrill. You still get our conversations with Blue Flame Thinkers every Thursday. Okay, what's going on? So megalomaniac Elon Musk has decided to back out of the deal to acquire Twitter. You may have heard 
What a shocker. By the way, in bigger news, he also blocked the dog on the social platform, right? So I wanted to figure out what he'd said about bots. So I went to his account on Twitter and it says, you have been blocked. And here's the thing. I was never following him. I don't really care that much about what he says or does. Who do I follow on Twitter? Stuff that makes, I think it's funny or economists or uh, interesting thought leaders. Uh, my Twitter feed, I think most people would find pretty pretty boring. But anyways, he had proactively blocked me. And let's be honest, that's nothing but trying to get my attention. The sexual tension here is palpable. Uh, so I say, I kind of, you know, I kind of like it when he blocks me. What I say is, bitch, block me harder. Anyway, most reporting says that Twitter has the upper hand since the firm has a specific performance clause that requires Elon to close the deal as long as he has the debt financing in place, which he does. We'd like to think that Twitter will come out on top here, but we aren't dealing with someone who likes to play by the rules. And in addition, Twitter is still an operating business that has employees and shareholders to worry about. So a lengthy legal battle isn't what they want to endure. That's the narrative out there right now. And I think that is total bullshit and people are getting it wrong. As someone who has been a shareholder of Twitter a couple times, I think every shareholder here is entitled to $54.20. Why? Because the company has endured a tremendous amount of damage and distraction, whether it's advertisers losing faith in the platform, whether it's management and the board being wildly distracted, whether it's a decrease in morale among employees, many of whom have likely left. This company has been significantly damaged by Elon Musk. Now, why did they incur that bullshit, that brain damage, uh, that sort of abuse? Because he signed an agreement saying that on closing, he would show up and give every shareholder $54.20 per share. Twitter has lived up to their end of the agreement. They have done everything he has asked. And and now he owes every shareholder $54.20. So what do I think is going to happen here? I think the board understands this, and I think the media has it wrong. They keep saying, well, Twitter doesn't want to endure discovery. Twitter doesn't want to endure discovery? This is an individual that last year decided to have a baby with his girlfriend, good for him, but at the same time had a subordinate carrying twins that no one knew about, and they didn't disclose till six months after he'd given birth to the other kid. By the way, do we realize that approximately the same time the company had paid hush money to someone accusing him of sexual misconduct. Let's pick another really popular person. What if Tom Brady, in the same month, quarter, year, had said, oh, I'm having a baby through surrogate with my partner. Oh, by the way, by the way, someone on in the franchise who I have power over, who reports into me, is also carrying children and twins. And oh, the Patriots had to pay off somebody for hush money. I don't think it'd be on the Patriots. As a matter of fact, I think we would have been kicked out of the league. Our idolatry of innovators here has to stop. And where does it stop? In my opinion, in the Chancery Court. What is the Chancery Court? It's a court set up to deal with corporate disputes. It does not have juries. They have a lot of discretion here. It's usually over economic settlements that require a decent amount of nuance here. And this is simple. For an economy to work, you have to have agreements that people, when they sign and review these agreements, live up to. What happens when nobody feels a need because they're rich or because they're superpower or shamelessness? They no longer have to live up to agreements. What happens when you agree to show up for work because you have a signed contract and the employer says, you know what, fuck you. We decided we don't really need you. Sorry you quit your job. What happens when you agree to buy a house and you show up and you sell your own house and the seller says, you know what, the market's gone up. 
I'm not going to sell you my house. You're shit out of luck. What happens when you sign adoption papers? If we don't have a rule of law here, or we have rule of law for everyone else, except for billionaires and specifically billionaire tech innovators, the economy doesn't work. Emerging from Silicon Valley over the last decade has been a culture that has been very damaging to capitalism. One, the way you make a lot of money is to exploit your users, to radicalize them, to play on their depression, to play on their need for addiction. And two, that management can act like total fucking assholes and have no decorum and believe that the law does not apply to them. This needs to stop. He signed a contract. He's a big boy. He has the money. Twitter shareholders are entitled to $54.20 per share. Elon, pay the fuck up. We'll be right back for our conversation with Molly White. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back. Here's our conversation with Molly White, a software engineer and leading cryptocurrency critic. All right, let's bust right into it. Molly, walk us through the state of play in the crypto space right now as you see it. It seems that things are, it's a volatile market. What, how would you describe uh, the state of play? Recently, we've definitely seen a decline in the price of most crypto assets pretty severely. I mean, you know, people are referring to it as a crash. People are saying the bubble has popped. To some extent, that seems to be true. Um, things are not going so well in the crypto world right now. Well, not to state the obvious, but that seems pretty obvious. Any uh, any thoughts on why this is happening? It seems to be a combination of a lot of things. I mean, the traditional financial markets are down. And I think despite what a lot of crypto proponents might have you believe, they are fairly closely, they track each other fairly closely. And so downturns in traditional finance seem to be affecting crypto. I think also there's just been a large number of sort of cascading failures in the crypto world where there have been, you know, crypto hedge funds and exchanges that have been taking far too much risk that have been causing just, you know, issues throughout the ecosystem, failures of projects like Terra, things like that. 
Yeah, it does seem supposedly one of the benefits of crypto or tokens was they were supposed to be uh, a hedge against other assets. And it looks that as the market matures, they're increasingly correlated with other assets. So when the market goes down, so does Bitcoin. Well, tell us more about hedge funds um, or funds that have invested in crypto. Do you expect to see a lot of these go out of business? I would imagine it's chaos at a lot of these funds who borrowed money against their holdings such that they can make more investments. It seems like the delevering here, I don't know if we're a quarter of the way done, halfway done, 90% of the way done. Can you speak at all to the investors and what's going on in the crypto fund space? Yeah, I think chaos is probably a good word for it. I mean, there have been uh, a lot of funds like that that have been heavily, you know, loaning money from other funds. And then when, you know, one fund can't meet their obligations, things begin to really fall apart. And I really feel for the the retail investors who were putting money into exchanges that had um, exposure to these things because they're starting to see the real fallout from that where, you know, multiple exchanges have either frozen withdrawals or even, you know, announced that they are, you know, considering bankruptcy uh, as a result of these highly risky loans that I think a lot of customers didn't realize they were even exposed to. Where do you think we are in the process? Do you think it gets a lot worse? Do you think that Bitcoin and some of these assets have found a floor? The more and more, I heard that Three Arrow or whatever it's called, the, the headquarters in Singapore, they showed up and that the founders have fled. I mean, this just is all starting to sound really, really sketchy. Um, and what are, uh, what are, do you know the biggest kind of sole purpose crypto funds in the United States and how they're doing? I don't even know them by name. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but, you know, it's hard to say where we are in the process. You know, I, I don't try to predict the price of Bitcoin or what will happen because it's always end up being so much weirder than you could ever expect. But I think, you know, that that some of these processes will take time around people trying to see if they can recoup any funds from things like, you know, groups like Three Arrows Capital who are you know, at this point, who knows what's happening there? They can't find the founders at this stage. And so, you know, I think there's a lot more uncertainty ahead, regardless of, you know, what happens with the price of Bitcoin. You've been a big critic of all things Web3, whether it's crypto or NFTs or the blockchain itself. What's the source of the fire, if you will, kind of driving this skepticism? I became really concerned with crypto somewhere towards the end of last year when it was kind of on a bull run and I was seeing some of the hype beginning to become extreme. I mean, people were really pushing crypto to the average person, you know, advertisements from influencers and celebrities, um, people saying that, you know, anyone should be putting money into these cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin or some sort of altcoin. Um, and there was very little... Uh, skepticism being applied, which I think is always a bad thing, regardless of how good or bad the actual topic might be. Uh, and that was when I sort of started to become involved. Um, and I started to see, in what, in my opinion, there was very little behind this whole thing besides the hype. Do you Are there certain aspects of Web3, whether it's the tokens or NFTs or DAOs that you're less or more skeptical of? I'm generally skeptical of the idea that blockchains are a good technology to power the future of the web or future of society, as some people will say. They are good for a small number of use cases and not good for many, many more. 
And so when people begin to try to tack them on to general web use cases, because that's what in you know interests venture capitalists, for example, um, we start to see people doing really risky things, you know, storing content to the blockchain that really ought not to be uh, stored in such a database, uh, you know, exposing their users to highly risky financial investments. Um, those are the types of things that really worry me about this idea that the web as a whole is going to start moving towards, you know, this financialized blockchain model. And you keep a running total of the amount of money lost to Web3 grifts and scams on your site. You call it the grift counter, and it's currently more than $10 billion. Why is this such uh, an incredibly ripe sector for fraud and uh, scams? Well, there's been pretty poor enforcement of regulations in this space so far. So people have been able to get away with, you know, Ponzi schemes and and outright financial fraud that is typically shut down fairly quickly in more traditional markets. Um, there's also some element of anonymity that is just accepted in the space. So people will trust their funds to completely anonymous people. And then if those people run off with them, there's very little that they can do. There's also some aspects of cryptocurrencies that are just particularly well suited to to financial fraud. You know, it's it's very difficult, for example, to reverse a transaction if you put money into a cryptocurrency and then send it somewhere that you didn't intend to or that, you know, you were tricked into sending it. You can't call up your credit card company and ask them to reverse the transaction. And so, you know, it's been an absolute blessing for financial fraudsters and scammers because it enables them to take money from a lot of sort of unsuspecting people, people who have been sold this dream that if they take these huge risks, they might make big returns. And have you seen, my understanding is that someone did the analysis and said that all the money that everyone made from the meme movement, they've given all of it back. Do you have any sense for what the losses are like and are there specific groups that have been hit harder than others? I know it over-indexes on young people, but who's really taking the brunt of these losses here? Inevitably, it's the retail investors who are getting hit the hardest. You know, they might not be losing the largest sums of money because they didn't have that kind of money to invest in the first place. But, you know, if if your average person has put too much money, you know, and and unsustainable amount of money into crypto and then crypto crashes, they're the ones who can't pay their rent or, you know, meet their uh, student loan payments or, you know, pay for their everyday needs. So, you know, it's it's not the venture capitalists that I worry about or the multimillionaire, you know, hedge fund uh, companies that I worry about. I really worry about the the people who are being sold this dream, you know, in in October or November of last year. And you signed a letter uh, to Congress along with 25 other technologists and crypto critics calling on them to treat the Web3 space with more skepticism and move towards regulation. What tangible steps would you like to see Congress take to regulate the space? I think they really need to clarify some of the governing bodies in the space so far. You know, there's been a lot of people have been falling back on the fact that there has been little clarity around whether or not cryptocurrencies are securities or commodities or some other asset class. And they've been sort of, I think, taking advantage of that lack of clarity to, you know, run unregistered security schemes. Um, and I think, you know, taking steps to address that will be useful. Taking steps to address um, money laundering and, and wire fraud 
um, taking steps to handle the risks associated with stable coins. You know, I think there's kind of any number of things that could be done um, to apply strong regulation to this space. I am more skeptical of whether or not there's a political will to actually do so. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And do you see a lot of crypto bulls? We compare this to 2000 where there's a fallout, but then Yahoo, Amazon, eBay you know, will emerge. Do you see any enduring technologies or companies here? If you, ha- if you had to bet on a technology or a token or a, you know, a platform, are there, is there anything that you think is going to make it out the other end? I mean, so I don't put any money into this stuff. You know, I I personally don't feel that there is anything worth investing in. Um, I think, the honestly, the most promising companies that have come out of this are companies like Chainalysis, who are being used to basically address the problems that the widespread adoption of cryptocurrency and blockchains have introduced. So, you know, Chainalysis, for example, allows um, or helps law enforcement to track you know, money laundering that's happening with crypto. If someone steals a whole bunch of money and then they launder it, Chainalysis tries to help law enforcement unwind that. Um, and so, you know, they've they've created a market for themselves largely. Uh, so, you know, they, they're doing pretty well, I would guess. So whenever I try to have a balanced discussion around crypto, and that is highlight some of the things that sound, you know, that, okay, Solana is not going to replace the dollar, or I don't understand how different wallets can bid up the price on an NFT and that's not fraud. Whenever I attempt to have a reasonable discussion here, there is no reasonable discussion. People either believe it's a scam or that you are a terrible person if you dare question how everything's not going to be run off the blockchain globally. I can't imagine, or I'm speculating, you get a tr- I would think you would get a tremendous amount of grief uh, borderline, you know, uh, uh, online harassment. Um, I'm curious if that's the case and B, how you deal with it. It is to some extent. I mean, people really do not like uh, the people who push back against crypto because, you know, I think largely it threatens the bottom line. Uh, there's a tendency, I think, among journalists and, and others in media to sort of present the bulls and then the bears and, you know, say, all right, and now figure it out yourself with very little sort of, um, questioning around some of the claims that are being made, uh, fact-checking, you know, questioning around some of the, you know, whether or not it's responsible for some of the bulls to be making statements like they are. Um, and so I really worry that the the media landscape is actually um, contributing in large part to some of the harms that we're seeing. 
So I'll make the bull case for Bitcoin uh, or a sophomore bull case for Bitcoin. And I'm I'm like you, I'm a no-coiner. I'm an investor in a company called Ledger that makes a, a cold storage hardware wallet because I think people don't want hot storage because of all the scams you referenced. They want to have it on their own, you know, under their control um, and not connected or susceptible to hacks. But other than that, I've never owned a coin. I do find the methodology or the protocol uh, behind Bitcoin, uh, I think there is a certain genius to it that because of the the strategy around having to throw multiple numbers at a, an equation or a problem that gets increasingly complex, that requires supercomputers, massive power consumption, and then every time a new coin is minted, uh, it gets a little bit harder. And I think they've established what I'll call scarcity credibility, which is the key to any fiat currency, that people believe at 21 million coins they're going to stop minting. I think there's more scarcity credibility around Bitcoin right now than there is around certain fiat currencies. And as a result, it has become a legitimate store of value with a lot of big players, credible players who are treating it as such. Do you not see a role for Bitcoin post this? Do you think it's going to go the same way as all these other shit coins? I think that the value of, you know, a deflationary currency or a limited, uh, you know, scarce currency basically has been overstated by a lot of the crypto bulls. Um, You know, there's sort of the gold standard ideology that's being returned to a lot of these, you know, concepts. But, you know, I, I don't think that actually really holds up to scrutiny. You know, things actually didn't go so great when the U.S. was on the gold standard. There are major issues that come out of, um, you know, relying on these digitally scarce assets. Um, And you still have to trust that, you know, Bitcoin will actually uphold its promises of only having that number of coins in the end, which, you know, I think is probably likely, but who's to say? Um, You know, it, it doesn't seem like a reasonable store of value to me. And I think that it has not served as one so far. You know, people who have put money into Bitcoin are not enjoying a stable, uh, you know, store of value at this stage. Molly White is a software engineer and cryptocurrency critic. In addition to her longer form critical writing about the topic, she maintains the website web3isgoinggreat.com, although I think that's very creative, where she catalogs disasters in cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, NFTs, and other blockchain-based projects. She joins us from... Molly, where are you? I'm in Maine right now. You're in Maine. Good for you. Is that a new thing or are you from Maine? I'm originally from Maine and I'm I'm visiting family here. Good for you. Well, enjoy a Maine-like summer. We appreciate your time, Molly. Thanks for having me. Algebra of happiness. We've spoken about the importance of not having a scorecard. I think that a signal of a weak relationship is when one or both parties keep score. And that is, oh, your parents were in town last weekend and I spent time with them. My parents are coming, which means you have to spend time with them. Or I did this for you. Or I took the kids to school, which means you have to pick them up. I think a healthier approach to a relationship is to decide what kind of friend, what kind of partner, what kind of spouse, what kind of father, what kind of brother you want to be. And just attempt to be that person and not keep score. Um, Also, to decide if you want to be generous. The problem with successful people or an externality of being successful, at least it has been for me, is that you start believing that everything like business is a transaction. And if you aren't getting a good deal in that transaction, it's a bad deal. Well, okay, keep in mind the following. It's natural instinct to inflate your contribution to the relationship 
and diminish theirs. And you're constantly or often going to feel like things are out of whack and you're getting a worse part of the deal. I'm not suggesting that you subject yourself to abuse. I think at some point, if you're constantly in the minus column in a relationship, you may want to decide, A, uh, let that person know that, and B, if it continues, exit the relationship. But there's something liberating around deciding that I'm just going to be a, a generous boyfriend. I'm. This is the kind of son I want to be to my father um, and not keep score. And it also results uh, in much healthier relationships. Now, oftentimes, you're going to find yourself in a situation where someone you work with, a friend, a spouse is contributing more than you are. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It shouldn't last for a long time. But what? how do you close that gap? I have a lot of people in my life that could just contribute more to the relationship than I do. I have people I work with that are more thoughtful about the business and spend more time trying to make my content sing or try and make me successful uh, than, than the reverse. And uh, I have people in my personal life who uh, for extended periods of time are just better to me than I am to them. And I'm not proud to say that, but that's the reality. It, it doesn't close the Delta, but it really helps to acknowledge it. You know, I realize I've been focused on work. I realize I haven't been present with the kids. I realize you've had to pick up a lot of slack here. I acknowledge it. I, I understand it. And I really do appreciate it. Um, and I find that goes such a long way. I don't, I think most people in your life don't mind picking up the slack every once in a while, but they need to know that you know, and they need to know that you appreciate it. Close the gap, mind the gap, don't keep score. Our producers are Caroline Chagrin and Drew Burrows. Claire Miller is our associate producer. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Prop G Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you next week. I can't see anyone's reaction. It's, I feel very lonely. I feel alone. That was kind of a dad joke. No, not very good. Okay, let me keep looking. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.